Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Friday the 27th of October. I'm Tim Spears and today we're asking... Can Newcastle cope without their most expensive signing of the summer? It still means that he's going to be out for the rest of Newcastle's season and also miss the Euros with Italy. Can Spurs handle the heat at the top? But I don't think it should necessarily be, you know, kind of suffocating pressure at this point in the season. And who's going to triumph in the Manchester derby? If United came away from this game with a score draw, they'd be pretty satisfied at that. John Stones is back, Bernardo Silva's back, Jack Grealish is back. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Tim Spears. We'll start with last night's European action and at Anfield, where Liverpool routed Toulouse 5-1 in the Europa League. Jota going all the way through! How well taken was that? Wataro Endo scored his first goal for the club and Diogo Jota and Mo Salah were also on the score sheet. James Pearce was there for the Athletic. Liverpool made it three wins out of three in the Europa League with emphatic 5-1 victory over Toulouse at Anfield. Jurgen Klopp able to make eight changes, rest a whole host of star names ahead of Sunday's visit of Nottingham Forest in the Premier League as he utilised the depth of talent at his disposal this season. It was never really in doubt. There was a brief wobble in the first half when Dalinga took advantage of Liverpool's high defensive line and ran through to cancel out Diogo Jota's classy opener. But after that, Liverpool just completely took control. Some big positives for Klopp on the night, not least from Wataru Endo and, and Ryan Gravenberch, two of the summer signings. In the second half, Liverpool just steamrolled them, really. Gravenberch scoring after Darwin Nunes had inexplicably managed to, to hit the post after going around the goalkeeper. And then Jurgen Klopp had already given a full debut tonight to academy youngster Luke Chambers. He then handed debuts as well to academy kids James McConnell and Callum Scanlon and it was actually left to Mohamed Salah to uh, convert the fifth deep into stoppage time and complete what was just about the perfect night for the Reds. There was a famous night on the south coast where Brighton won their first ever European match beating beleaguered Ajax who incredibly sit in the relegation zone in the Dutch league by two goals to nil. Fabulous! What a beautiful goal that is from Brighton and this is turning into a beautiful European night for the Seagulls. Barcelona Loney, Anzu Fati and Jao Pedro scored for the Seagulls, who are now right back in contention in a group which also contains Marseille and AEK Athens. West Ham still top their Europa League group, despite going down 2-1 in Athens to Olympiakos, with Angelo Ogbonna's own goal proving crucial. Elsewhere in the competition, Romelu Lukaku scored for the 14th consecutive Europa League match as Roma beat Slavia Prague 2-0. Lukaku! Oh, brilliant finish! He's done it again! And in the Conference League, Aston Villa continued their recent form with a 4-1 victory away at AZ Alkmaar. AZ reached the semi-finals last year, but Villa comfortably brushed them aside. Ollie Watkins scoring his ninth goal of the season in what was Villa's second consecutive 4-1 win after their victory over West Ham at the weekend. 
Newcastle United midfielder Sandro Tonali has been banned from football for 10 months. The 23-year-old was found guilty of breaching rules on gambling by the Italian Football Federation. He joined Newcastle for £55 million, that's $67 million last July, but is now suspended from playing for his club or for Italy, meaning if they qualify for Euro 2024, he will miss the tournament. Newcastle writer Jacob Whitehead joins us now. What can you tell us about the ban, Jacob? So the ban's finally been agreed. It's felt like it's been quite a long time coming, even though it's been sped through at such warp speed. So it's going to be 10 months suspension from football with then a further eight months on top of that, which is rehabilitation and therapy. In the course of that extra eight months, he'll be able to continue playing, but it still means that he's going to be out for the rest of Newcastle season and also miss the Euros with Italy, which he'd be expected to be a part of. If you kind of situate this in terms of potential punishments, you can maybe say that Newcastle and the player have potentially got on the lighter sort of range of punishments. So Nicolo Fagioli, who was the first person caught up in this case, had a seven-month ban. Uh, The starting point for breaking Article 24, which is gambling, is three years. And so because Tonali's has cooperated with authorities, because he has talked about how he has a gambling addiction, that is further mitigation, he's also going to have to make at least 16 appearances at local clubs in Italy to kind of raise awareness of his issues. So at least some good is coming out of what is a deeply frustrating situation. I mean, Newcastle obviously have their eyes on a Champions League campaign and looking towards the top four again. What does this ban mean for them going forward? So Tonali was kind of a one signing they brought in in the summer to kind of immediately improve their starting eleven. So you'd think he's a really kind of integral member and I guess he was signed to kind of cover the number six role and the number eight role. That said... There is cover. They've got the first choice trio of Bruno Guimaraes at six, Jalinton and Sean Longstaff. And then they're also boosted by the return of Joe Willock. But there are a few injuries right now kind of lurking about. So Elliot Anderson, youngster, who would kind of be thought of as covering the number eight role. He's out for a few weeks with a back injury. And then further forward, Isaac's out, Murphy's out. And kind of Newcastle have this quite fluid system where they like their wingers and they like their number eights to rotate. So kind of there is an overall lack of depth there. And with the January transfer market a few months away, even if Newcastle were to get involved in that, their FFP situation means that's not a guarantee. But it means that in terms of short-term cover, they don't necessarily have tons. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. Spurs kick off the Premier League weekend at Crystal Palace tonight, knowing that victory will take them five points clear at the top of the table. It's almost uncharted territory for the club, who haven't been that far ahead of the English league since they last won the title back in 1961. Not that head coach Hans Postacoglu is getting carried away, as Spurs writer Charlie Eccleshare can no doubt tell us now. Charlie, Spurs will start a Premier League match as Premier League leaders for the first time this season. Does that kind of bring added pressure, or is it still too early in the season for that? Yeah, I think it's too early for that. Um, And certainly that was Postacoglu's take. You know, we're still in October. So yes, it does bring with it uh, a different dimension. It's a different dynamic. But I think at this at this stage, you know, they're being quite good at just playing the game as they see it. You know, there was a different kind of pressure on Monday night because if they won, they would go top. They had that against Luton as well. Obviously, this is a slightly different challenge. But yeah, you know, it, it might make for a slightly different game it might make how Palace approach the game slightly differently but I don't think it should necessarily be you know kind of suffocating pressure at this point in the season You were at Ange Postacoglu's press conference on Thursday Charlie what's his take on them being top of the table? Yeah he was typically uh, kind of not getting carried away I mean he said something quite interesting about how you know he's the same his mood is the same uh, whether he's 
his teams aren't doing well or are doing well, you know, and that he said it's it's often quite hard to tell if you just saw how he was acting uh, around the place and with the players, etc. So he said something quite interesting as well because he was asked about where Spurs can improve. And, you know, initially he said in every area, which was kind of what I expected. But then he said... Uh, that it was really in the attacking sense that they can improve and that, you know, that it's not quite clicked yet and that the patterns aren't quite there, which I thought was interesting given they're averaging more than two goals a game. And I think most observers, casual observers would probably think, but, you know, Madison's playing great, Son's playing great. But I do kind of know what he means. Like there were a few times against Fulham on Monday where it was so close to clicking and didn't quite but uh, yeah, it's a kind of quite a scary thought because <laughs> they are scoring a lot of goals. Uh, and what's it going to look like if and when it does click? Destiny Doggy's made an incredible start to life at Spurs, but he's an injury doubt at Sellers Park. Who do you think would uh, replace him if he misses out? On Monday night against Fulham, when he went off injured, it was uh, Emerson Royale who came in for him. Obviously, Royale is more of a right back. But that role does require you to invert. Ben Davis missed that game against Fulham with a knock. He's now back. So I guess he'd be in contention as well. I suspect it'll probably be Royale given he's played really well this season when needed, given that Davis is coming back from that knock. Yeah, he'd probably be the most likely to come in. Thanks, Charlie. And you can watch Palace v Spurs at 8pm in the UK on Sky Sports and 3pm Eastern Time on USA Network in the US. Biggest game of the weekend is undoubtedly in Manchester, where United and City go head-to-head at Old Trafford on Sunday. It's 8th v 2nd in the Premier League standings, but United, buoyed by a dramatic victory over Copenhagen in the Champions League in midweek, have occasionally surprised City in recent seasons and beat them in this fixture in January. To see how the red and blue halves of the City are shaping up, let's get the lowdown from City writer Sam Lee and first, United correspondent Laurie Whitwell. The feeling for Manchester United going into the derby is one of trepidation, I believe. They have won their last three games uh, in succession, but not looked convincing in any of them. Sort of scraped through, really, on each occasion. In fact, each game uh, they have won this season, it's been uh, a difficult task. Man City at Old Trafford, they've come to uh, United's home ground and won convincingly years previous. Um, United did win their last contest there, though, in January. And I think that's a a template that Ten Hag will try and employ here. But yeah, United need to be tight in defence and they're had a few injuries there but also just create chances they haven't looked like creating enough chances this season which is a real issue when you're facing a team like City where you have to score with every opportunity really so yeah I think if United came away from this game with a score draw they'd be pretty satisfied at that Um, I think they just want to avoid a difficult defeat. I think City are feeling pretty good going into the derby. Obviously, they had the two defeats before the international break and everyone was wondering what was going on. They've come back since then. They beat Brighton last weekend. Guardiola said it was really important to break that little run of defeats. They made loads of changes for the game in midweek. They won pretty comfortably in the end. And those changes obviously mean that certain players can come back fresh for the weekend. And they've also, they're pretty much over their injury problems now. Kevin De Bruyne is obviously still a big absence, but he's the only one that's actually still out. Um, John Stones is back, Bernardo Silva's back, Jack Grealish is back. So yeah, overall, I think they're in pretty good shape and I think the mood within the camp is pretty good. And that one kicks off at 3.30pm on Sunday or 11.30am Eastern Time on Peacock. All the Premier League matches can also be seen in the US on NBC, USA Network and Peacock. Also this weekend, there's the small matter of El Clasico, Barcelona v Real Madrid on Saturday. You can watch it if you're in the US starting at 10.15am Eastern Time on ESPN+, along with the rest of the La Liga games. 
Right, that's all for today. I've been Tim Spears. Your producer was Mike Zimmerman and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. If you're new to the show, we'd love you to subscribe and come back for more and feel free to leave us a review if you can. I'll be back with you on Monday to bring you all the football action from the weekend. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. The Athletic.